Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by the CEO himself. He is Caved In Online, Daniel, the Dr. Schriever. What is going on, my friend? I'm doing well, David. It's good to be here with you, back where it all started. Texas? <laughs> Online? What are you talking about? No, no, just, uh, you know, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Obviously, we miss Damon, but, uh, you know, it's been a few years. This show's been around for a while. Yeah, we're, uh, we're old horses in this game. <laughs> Soon we'll be replaced by chat AI uh, simulations of our various uh, likes and dislikes. So, you know what I did a few weeks back? I... I was using some service, like one of these productivity softwares, and it came with a chat GPT integration. So I just started fucking around. <laughs> and I was like, write me a review of the Faithless Brewing podcast. And it did a great job. It did an amazing job. I learned all kinds of interesting facts about David Robertson, who has multiple Pro Tour top eights. <laughs> Damon Alexander, who's one of the top players in Brazil. And, you know, how we brew fresh new decks every week. Absolutely true. And it hardly recommended us. That's the wild thing, though. Like, it says six things that are true, and then it says, like, a wild lie. <laughs> and, you know, what's the old, uh, like, the doorkeeper, the magical doorkeeper that tells, like, two truths and a lie or whatever? But if you don't know which one it is, like, mm -hmm. it's basically useless. And somehow we, we can't, like, unsolve it. You know, it's like cars. It, you know, Waymo or whatever was able to solve the first 85% of driving actually turned out to be easier than we thought. But, like, the last... 5% has been borderline insoluble and like it really matters. <laughs> like if the whole point is I can go out and get like blackout drunk and maybe meet a new friend in a city and go back to my hotel with that person. If the car can't do it, then it's, it doesn't do anything. Like we can already drive if we're sober and alert and paying attention. Either it, it does all that or it doesn't do it. And I still have to pay attention. So that's like chat GPT right now. doesn't do anything. It's not going to help us if we uh, meet Stephen Dykeman in one of our <laughs> wild nights out of the town. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So last show, you and I talked about some of the cars that you were most excited for, for March of the Machine, The Aftermath. You even put together some spicy, spicy lists. I think we got through about six of them. Excited to test those. Gosh, there's so many new cards swirling around. There's been so much going on. There's... You know, the new set, the big one, March of the Machine just dropped. Then they gave us a supplemental set. Then there was the Pro Tour. There was Lord of the Rings. More teasers. There's even some previews for Wilds of Eldraine and other stuff coming up later in the year. So it seemed like today we should just take a minute, take a breather, and just catch up on everything that's happening. And maybe check in a little bit with some of our listeners and see what people are thinking about. So we got a little mailbag episode today. I solicited some questions from people in our Discord and the Faithless Brewing family. Well, how can you access Discord, Dan? The people want to know. <laughs> people, people asking ChatGPT, you can answer these questions right now so they don't have to pay for the ChatGPT service. ChatGPT says you can go to <laughs> patreon.uk.co slash faithlessbrewing. <laughs> Make a pledge any tier you like that gets you a free car, a playmat, yeah. <laughs> uh, and immediate access to our wonderful Discord community where you can find hundreds of like-minded brewers, always kicking around amazing ideas. And sometimes you get perks, like we have mailbag segments, uh, we vote on cards, uh, and you can ask us questions. 
But it's <laughs> patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Correct. Yes. <laughs> My mistake. Always fact yeah. check me. <laughs> exactly. Always triple check chat GPT. All right. Yeah. Let's get, let's go through the questions. All right. So these are in no particular order, but first one comes from Bridger, the Thane of Black Green Midrange, who asks, Ren episode when? And I did ask for some clarification on this because I was not totally sure what Bridger had in mind. And they clarified that uh, they hated the card at first, thought it was bad, but it turns out that the card is gas with multiple S's. So you know it's good. It turns out a three mana walker that pluses to five loyalty is very hard to kill. And Bridger has issued an apology for doubting the card. This is like the Shaquille O'Neal, like, sorry, I wasn't familiar with your game <laughs> uh, <laughs> meme. So, yeah, Dan, you wrote a long soliloquy on uh, the Twitter function, currently ruled with an iron fist by Elon Musk. It was like 12 different places in Pioneer you thought should at least consider this card. Or I forget how many it was. It was a lot. You had, you had a lot of uh, interesting ideas, some, some of which we kind of brewed together, some of which were your own sort of unique uh, spin on where the card might find a home. Yeah, it's interesting to put that thread together. In some sense, just content for content's sake. I wasn't sure if I believed in it. Many of the decks that I suggested were like stock lists that could incorporate the Ren and Realmbreaker effect. Those lists have not picked it up at all. Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in, uh, I mean, obviously this guy is the Thane of uh, <laughs> Black Green Midrange. <laughs> I'm really interested in how uh, Bridger has been using this card and uh, what they've been liking about it because I've had this card played against me many times. And I don't kill it. <laughs> it's like, all right, resolves. <laughs> Are you going to stop me from killing you? I mean, it just does very little, it seems. It's like a very slow draw. If they, if they draw with it, I will kill it. Um, but if they just plus it, you know, so it doesn't die, it's like, that's fine. It's just like Thali that doesn't make mana. So I just proceed to beat the crap out of them. It's, it's a very strange card. So I'm wondering, well, I think we need more feedback from the, uh, the Thane of black green midrange are they thinking of it as like like another black green midrange card i think of in three mana is uh glissa glissa seems way better than this in that type of shell it blocks right it dominates combat it uh, can pressure planeswalkers this doesn't really uh it can even draw a card um so I'm, I'm wondering like where what specifically uh the uses are that they're getting out of this card or is it just like a way to bridge to like play chariot on on you know the next turn well they are a bridger so that would make sense yeah that, that makes sense no i don't know exactly um beyond what i quoted although i will now that you mentioned it uh give a quick plug so bridger actually has their own podcast it's called the shock seas podcast and it's pretty great actually it doesn't come out that often so it's an, more of an occasional podcast but you can find it on spotify and the major platforms and i uh, definitely recommend checking it out bridger has some great guests some of the guys from playing pioneer uh, from the crew three podcast so we're very pioneer focused and i don't know if uh they're planning to do a red and realm breaker episode i encourage them to do so or maybe we can collaborate on that because you know i'm still interested i'm still interested in the card even though it, it's probably just not going to work in the stock lists that doesn't mean that it won't work in some lists have you played with or against it dan have, have you had it played against you or have you played it in a list 
I have not. Actually, I just like have not had much chance to play it all since the set came out. Yeah, I've not cast it, so I, I'm not. I'm not here to say it's it can't be good. I'm just really. I mean, I don't play a lot of black green mid range, right? This is uh, this is perhaps the uh, we need to defer to the Thane mm-hmm. here, but um, I've had it played against me, and it was just like, man, I'm really glad it's that, and not like a wide variety of other cards. But maybe it's just a specific situation. All right, next question comes to us from Casey. And this one again for you, our Pioneer Brewmaster David. Do you see any bands coming up in Pioneer? I remember some talk of Karn or perhaps Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So I would be personally stunned if there were bands. I think the format is relatively balanced right now. I think if you want to make Fable less ubiquitous or Red Black less ubiquitous, I would actually ban Grease Fang. Uh, I think the decks that there's a lot of decks that beat red black. Um, the, I always forget what enigmatic incarnation types of stuff. Uh, anything with your iron though. It's, it's kind of like a borderline buy, but those decks really struggle against grease fang and a few of the other combo lists, but grease fang is the fastest combo deck in the format. So if you got rid of grease fang or the instant speed removal, that red black gets to play isn't as good. And it was just a mid range battle. Then, um, I think red black would actually just lose to these other mid range lists. And so you'd see people kind of get bigger and bigger and then aggro could actually have a home again. So I do think though, even though I don't think fable ought to be banned, I think there's a chance we, we both expect, I think fable to get banned in standard with the, uh, announcement of, uh, the standard, uh, cycle <laughs> extending a whole nother year. And they tend to overban when they're banning a card in off format. Like I think they overbanned Uro just because people were sick of playing it. They just got rid of it in Pioneer, even though it was not broken, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and so I think Fable is the kind of card where they read the tea leaves somehow and say, like, people are sick of this experience. We're going to get rid of it in a format where it's not broken. So that's something I could imagine happening, but I, I think it would be a quite a large mistake. Yeah, I guess I imagine the argument for banning fable would not be because of the win rate of any particular deck, but just like how much of the deck space it eats up in any red pile. There's not going to be a card better than fable and it's just always going to be good in every, well, in almost every configuration. So at a certain point, you just kind of have to ban it. If you want things to change, if you want decks to look different, but maybe you don't, maybe you just want it to be like a staple of the format. I mean, the thing is, you have to have some kind of cards that are good at three mana that don't interact with combo or aggro at all. It, they're just providing value. And like Fable is like uh, the Ren card, right? It's just a three drop that provides a bunch of value and is has a, kind of a unique interaction point. The one thing that's a little annoying about Fable is the multiple creatures that aren't actually creatures. So these random transmogrify effects are all over. They're a little annoying, but Fable itself, I think, is just like a very fair, very powerful three drop. And if that's quote unquote the best fair card, that just seems like a really good place for a format to be at. Uh, I mean, fair can still be oppressive if it's just too generous. And I think when when Lawson was on one of these times, I mean, he kind of outlined some very real scenarios in which it can become like a five or six or seven for one, which you shouldn't be able to do off a three drop. So even though like the mechanics that are, are used to compose fable are all individually fair, except for that sort of cheaty aspect, which is a problem in modern as well. The, um, the token aspect, it can still be fair and bannable in my opinion. So I, I do expect to see it actually within a year. Banned in pioneer. Yeah. What about Karn? Nah. 
No, I think Karn's a bit silly. I mean, see, once you ban Fable, like Red Black's a lot worse. And that's like one of the forces like holding green down is it's the best deck at killing turn one elf. Well, at a certain point, you just have to like let Nykthos go. I know people hate that. They insist that Nykthos is like unique and special and needs to be a part of Pioneer forever. But that's the card that's not playing by the rules of everything else. So if, you, if you're going to make the win rate argument for a deck and say, okay, green is winning too much, no, like, sure, okay, I'm, I'm okay with letting Nykthos go as well. Well, right now, no deck is winning too much. The top eight of the Pro Tour was very diverse. In my typical league, the games are very diverse. The games I play against Red Black are awesome. I, I would actually love to play against Red Black all the time. I, I think I just have really interesting games there. There's tons of decisions. Um, lots of stuff matters. Uh, it is a little bit oppressive to aggro decks. I think they just need to print like one really good uh, red drop with haste. Maybe Goblin Guide into Pioneer would just be a, a huge boon, I think, to the format. Well, maybe on that note, I'm going to jump down to a question here from Bromat Courier. So Bromat Courier asks us, how would a lava spike that only hit players, planeswalkers, and perhaps battles affect the pioneer format if they printed this hypothetical card? So I don't think hitting battles matters at all. I think the <laughs> the card type is borderline irrelevant in the format um, and will only get less relevant as they keep printing, you know, powerful sagas and creatures and everything else. Um, hitting players is interesting, right? We don't have a one mana three damage spell except for is the black spell that does that with flashback? That's legal. Bump in the night is legal, right? In Pioneer? Yes, it is. Um, so that would actually give you eight copies of that effect, which is actually kind of getting interesting. The problem is without Lightning Bolt, you're stuck with way worse versions, right? Like the shock that scries one if it hits them is just so different than Lightning Bolt. And the creatures are just so much worse, right? We 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 don't have that goblin guide. You need one more good one drop. Yeah, so this this question from Bromat really gets at the core of like what's wrong with red and pioneer. Um, because I would have said the creatures are almost the same as in modern, but maybe I'm misevaluating just like how bad Kimono faces Kakazan and Phoenix Chick are compared to Goblin Guide. But like you still get Swift Spear. I mean, Soul Scar is pretty good. You still get Eidolon. Whereas what I think you're missing in Pioneer is on rate, above rate, burn. And I was wondering if like, okay, the Lava Spike doesn't quite get you there, right? Play with fires, just not Lightning Bolt. Never can be. And you can't give them Lightning Bolt because Lightning Bolt actually slots very well under Red Black. <laughs> um, so... I think I think they should print something like that, but maybe they can do, you know, tweak it in some way, make it a little more interesting. Just straight up Lava Spike maybe isn't the card, but um, what's the one in a red? Each player takes four damage. That'd be an interesting card to print into the format. Oh, Flame Rift. Yeah. You just need a way to like. You need a way to do the classic red thing where you are down cards, but your opponent died with four cards in hand. <laughs> right, right virtual card advantage yeah it's a good idea though red is not quite good enough like uh islands go as me uh has played a bunch of red lists and they every once in a while they're okay um and he's a very good player but it just seems like they're just a little underpowered to what they should be 
All right, next question here comes to us from Woosh. Does the lengthening of the standard rotation make any difference in your feelings toward the format? So big news last week is that standard will now include three years worth of sets. Each standard release will have up to three full years to do its thing. That means the card pool will be 50% larger at any given time. And standard just gets a lot more robust. A change made perhaps aimed at revitalizing tabletop play and just making standard a little bit easier to design for a little bit, um, you know, rotating less frequently is more player friendly in theory. How do you feel about all that, David? I think standard has always been a tough nut to crack. Now we obviously give Wizards of the Coast lots of shit a lot of times, I think well-deserved. I think they've been in like a pretty good run of designing awesome sets. Uh, you know, Capenna was kind of a miss. Strixhaven was kind of a miss, but I think we're almost like two years when those are like kind of a miss. I mean, like B minus C plus. I mean, we're not talking about bad sets at all. The power level thing, I think it's very complicated. Uh, Patrick Sullivan, who has worked for Wizards of the Coast uh, and as, as a designer, has said that he thinks this is a plus. So I'm in no position to disagree with him. However, I think the problem that you run into is it's really hard for each set to make a difference, right? As Pioneer gets bigger, we find that's the case. As Modern gets bigger, we find that's the case. So it encourages power creep in a much more subtle way because you need each set to have an impact on a because are they rotating one set out as they rotate one one set in like is every set a rotation or are they still doing like two or three sets at a time i believe the letter but I, i'm actually not sure okay but so anyway there's always whatever 12 sets or whatever it's just really hard for cards to make a difference and every time they print a new set they know it has to have an effect so if you Again, let's assume they aren't banning anything, but if you know a card has to compete with Fable, just like you were describing, assuming they understood that Fable was the best card in the format, and it's not clear that they did. It's not clear that any Magic player pro personality understood how good the card would be. Um, then you'd need to push the next card, right? Whatever in Mom or the next card in Eldraine has to be as good as Fable if it's going to be, you know, if people are going to start playing green instead of red. So... It causes a strange incentive structure to to push the power level within the 12 set thing in a way that it didn't when you would almost be able to reset the power level of standard, which we'd see every once in a while, um, where the where standard would become, quote unquote, very weak, like a weaker standard, because you'd only have a few sets in and they wouldn't be that powerful and you get rid of staples. Um, I'm not saying that that was always a good thing or bad thing, but, you know, we've talked about some of these cards that have been banned in the past that are kind of laughably poor compared to other cards that later got banned. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't change my feelings about standard. I think standard was a format that you play to qualify for the pro tour and play grand prix and they eliminated grand prix and neutered the pro tour. So I think that's the main, and people have this, these arena accounts. There's no reason to maintain a giant paper collection in terms of revitalizing standard it won't work in terms of like the actual design of the sets though. I, I think my concerns are, as I've just elucidated. How do you see it, Dan? I mean, I want to play the format that my friends are playing and no one, like literally no one that I know plays standard. Uh, definitely not in paper. Maybe they play arena in the privacy of their own homes, you know, on, on mobile when you're in the bathroom or something. So like, that's what's going to bring standard back is like getting a lot of people to play it. So even like setting this change aside, I think the biggest thing that's going to bring standard back is the upcoming RCQ season where everyone's going to be forced to play it. 
not forced, but like, you know, the competitive players will be playing it and talking about it. Incentivized to play it. Incentivized to play it. Exactly. Like I'll probably go to some standard events, like even though I have no feelings or desire towards standard, like I would like to play these events. So I will learn standard. And the more I see people that I'm interested in hearing their opinions, talking about this format and brewing in the format, hopefully the more rewarding that will be. So that brewing part, right? This is where I, I see some hope from the change, right? If adding the third year makes the format a little bit more like a real card pool, like the bigger the card pool, the more synergies, the more stuff there is to discover, then I think it, it could work. There's a chance, right? There's a chance there this is. could work. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, so I'm going to say cautiously optimistic on this change. In conjunction with you know, some of the other changes that have been announced already and more are to come. They've kind of teased more changes are coming, probably aimed at incentivizing stores to run standard events, and we'll see how that all plays out. But, I mean, they probably need to also pair this with a relatively more aggressive banning policy. Oh, yeah, I'm expecting a big a big change to the banning policy. I mean, we're expecting Fable to be... We're expecting Fable to get banned by the time this podcast is up, right? I mean, we don't expect Fable <laughs> to survive. Do other cards need to go as well? I mean, it's like black is a lot of really good cards. Just even just banning Fable might not be enough. Although maybe that it, maybe it is enough. I am expecting them to say in the ban announcement that they're changing their philosophy towards banned and standard, and that they feel like you know the previous conservative approach no longer applies. You know, and the people don't care as much anymore. So they're just going to be a lot more aggressive about bans for this three-year standard format. That's my guess. All right, David, question for you from Kilgore Trout 503 who writes, outside of Faithless Brewing, who I feel try to be more inventive, most modern brews, quote-unquote, I see these days are about 20 Modern Horizons cards, those are the good cards, and about 16 Synergy cards. I will generously call them Synergy cards. Can we get out of this mindset as brewers and not feel constrained by the Modern Horizons power level? Or is this just the state of the format going forward? And Kilgore adds a note saying that he knows that this question has been asked about 50 different times, but it's it's still on his mind. I, I feel you, Jason. I feel you. I mean, I think each format kind of has requirements, right? It, it, it has an iron price that it makes you pay to, to interact. And, and uh, we talked about this in our last episode. When people get frustrated in Pioneer... They just want to play their like mid-range deck and they don't want to have any way to kill turn one elf. And they're just like, man, mono green is like way too good. It's like, no, no, <laughs> the format is like put a guide rail in play. You can dislike it or like it. That's fine. But you have to like, <laughs> you have to pay that price. You have to be this tall to get on the ride. And people don't want to do that. Um, the price of postmodern is that you must play one of the four or six packages pre-packaged into MH2. Basically every deck does that. Um, after that, you can be as creative as you want. Some of those packages are larger. Some of those packages are smaller. Whether that's good or bad depends on if you like the play patterns of the four or six pre-packaged uh, groups. So, you know, that's the reanimator cards with the, with the reanimator target that all came in MH2. That is um, the uh, Urza's land and all of its interactions. That's the food package. Um, that's the extra three mana, uh, card that, um, cascades. So you have your cascade packages. That's the elemental package, uh, et cetera. I mean, there's a, maybe a couple other I'm missing, but you, you have to play 
those or, or Titan? Yeah, I think one of the disappointing things about Modern Horizons 1 and 2 is how it, you know, they got great designers to build these sets and they asked them to like find packages and target them and build them out with powerful stuff. So that's what they did. So there's very few like solo cards that inspire their own little networks of synergy, right? It's all kind of like if it's powerful, it's got like a pretty well-defined group of three to five cards that play together. And of those cards, several have been added recently by Wizards. So that's a bit disappointing. I think the only way out of the mindset that I can see is to just like target a lower level of competitiveness. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. Like, yeah, FNM is actually pretty great. It's it's a good way to reconnect with people and with the face-to-face aspect of the game when we fell in love with it back in the day. So just like, yeah, build your decks, ignore Modern Horizon stuff, just play play the I played bad decks 2016, 2017 Modern Brews. Bring them to your FNM and just, you know, accept the 2-2 and have a great time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Question for you, David, from Tower Slayer. A lot of folks have very strong opinions on the positives and negatives of various formats. Hmm. So I'm curious what you feel an ideal constructive format looks like, and if that is different from what makes a format fun. So I like formats where a lot of different kinds of mid-range decks can compete and that games involve lots of decisions. Specifically, I like when blocking matters. Um, and then I also like with these mid-range decks competing where synergy-based decks have a chance to compete. Um, so I tend to not like decks where, or excuse me, formats where cards like Thoughtseize uh, are the best card. I think that's like a pretty, pretty big fun police type of card. It's necessary when you have lots of combo though. Um, so Pioneer kind of gets close and then it kind of falters at the end a little bit for me. Um, what about for yourself? I like a format with a big card pool with a lot of room for discovery. And the kind of discovery that I find rewarding is when I just like think of a card, noodle on it for a while, wake up at the middle of the night and like, I want to pair that with like this or that other obscure card. And then I go searching through the card pool to see like, okay, what's out there that supports this. I arrive at a pile that like sort of does what I think these cards will do. And if that pile can win some games, right? We use kind of the 5-0 of Magic Online as a benchmark, even though that doesn't actually mean anything statistically. It's just kind of a nice proof of concept. Like, hey, it worked at least once. If I feel like the format allows me to just like pick any any theme, support it enough with enough on-theme cards, and like have a chance at getting the 5-0 once, I'm satisfied. Now that has nothing to do with tournament balance or you know the metagame or <laughs> what holds up when everyone's trying their hardest to win and qualify. That's a bit harder, and you know, people above my above my pay grade struggle with that all the time. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess my ideal format is not that competitive of a format. Would you, would it be safe to say that no currently competitively played format meets or is even close to your ideal then? Modern has the type of card depth that allows that, which you described a lot, but then it doesn't allow the the second half of your. Yeah. Modern where people are not trying to win this, this would be my ideal format. Um, so <laughs> it's getting back to that modern horizons question. Um, cause yeah, I mean the card pool is there now in modern where almost any card you can think of has support, um, with the yes. exception of like a few that have been banned. So 
I like that. Conversely, like in Pioneer, you know, I was very excited about Omenhawker. We still haven't done the Omenhawker week yet. I think it's coming. And I was like, man, like these, these would be so sweet if I just had like a little more support, if I just had training grounds. And then one day you wake up and training grounds is legal. So, so there's hope. There's hope. Maybe Pioneer can still be that format. <laughs> Omenhawker is the way. Exactly. All right, David, uh, pick a question for us here. Sure. Judge Rob asks, uh, Wizard of the Coast is crossing over with a bunch of fantasy products lately. What fantasy world setting would you love to see as a magic crossover? Hmm. Are you a big fantasy reader? Or were you? Maybe in your teen years? I'm not a huge fantasy reader, but I have been working my way through the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere books because they're they're very entertaining at like one and a half speed when you're doing chores around the house. Or oh, yeah. Or walk. And they're so long that you get great value from your Audible credits. <laughs> so I've been like listening to a lot of that. And, you know, he is famously a, a big Magic fan. Uh, he's got yes. his own cube and I'm sure he would love to collaborate. I'm sure they have something in the works. They've definitely had the conversation. So some kind of... Uh, Arcanum Unbound. I guess Stormlight Archive is the most compelling of the worlds in the Cosmere, I think. Yeah, uh, Katie, my partner, also listens. She's making her way through Wheel of Time on audiobooks, not actually reading. And again, setting the speed at, yeah, one and a half. That's like psychotic behavior. If if I was still a single man and was dating, this would be like major red flag. <laughs> like just robotic consumption without like... <laughs> What if I talk to you at one and a half speed? It'd just be freaking crazy. That's no way to go through life. Uh, Do you watch movies faster too, just so the movie gets over? Oh, I want to see how Star Wars ends. I just fast forwarded through it. Oh, it looked like there was some cool starship combats in there. You do talk to me at one and a half speeds, David. I edit this at double speed and then I listen back at one and a half. Like this conversation we're having right now feels like slow motion to me. It's like driving on the highway. It's very (laughs) bizarre. Exactly. Um, but specifically for Sanderson, uh, you know, one of the things that they say about him is that, you know, he's, he's not the best writer, right? But he's a fantastic world builder, storyteller. That's bullshit, by the way, about the not being a great writer part. He is a great writer. Thinking of that hit job that came out in, what was that magazine? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I was wired. Yeah, that was a weird, weird article. <laughs> um, I don't think it was a hit job. I think people are a little too sensitive. I don't think it was a very good article, but. I thought it like reflected really poorly on the writer. Like I, I just yeah. felt bad for the writer. I sure. But, um, the stories, the way that, you know, he's built out this entire magic system, the world, the story, like, I just want to see what happens. I want to see how it ends. And I, I want him to keep writing faster. I hope he, he writes at one and a half speed, which is very nice. And he puts out more and more content <laughs> for us, which I will consume at one and a half speed. Well, let me throw this at you. I think you'd enjoy it twice as much. It's called three X speed. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So that's my pick. What, what about you? What's your pick? Uh, I very much enjoy A Song of Fire and Ice, uh, although it won't finish before George Martin dies. Um, and I like Wheel of Time quite a bit, but I think the sexual politics of both of those do not play very well with the uh, sort of political leanings of the magic Twitterati. Uh, maybe Dragonlance. Did you ever read those books when you were a younger man? Some, but not, not too many of them. So they would fit quite well because... They're more or less a uh, Dungeons and Dragons world. I think even the first book, Dragons of Autumn's Twilight, was somewhat based on a 
like gaming module or a or like an adventure that the writers actually went on and so that's why it feels very episodic the first one is a little tough <laughs> to read as a, as a straight up story um so you know a lot you know you could have a dragon lance's equipment and you could have you know sturm and uh the kender could easily just be a halfling etc so the templates would fit very well over magic because we saw that the dungeons and dragons templates fit very well for the set was there something where the authors of Dragonlance had a big falling out with wizards a couple of years ago for, for like no real reason? They just cut them loose and it was unclear why. I do not know. Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman are the writers of Dragonlance. Um, I, I, I don't know. I know they've come back and written more. Uh, I'm, I'm not like up on the last few hmm. books that they've written. I'm sure, you know, knowing Hasbro that they were trying to freaking short them on something and... <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, Song of Ice and Fire, like... Which is Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones to people, sorry, but it's it's a Song of Fire and Ice. There's not that much magic in the world, which is not necessarily a problem, right? You can you can have Rick and The Walking Dead can easily be a magic card. But. Yeah, you'd have all these zombies, you know, they kill the last of the giants, so that they at least uh, suggest that, like, the history was a little bit more magical, you know? Um, mm. The red uh, wizard that True, true. Uh, gives birth to some kind of weirdo demon. There, there, of course, there's dragons. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But, I mean, it sounds like there's, like, crossover after crossover here. <laughs> yeah, we got Doctor Who is coming up. Got Lord of the Rings in just, like, less than a month. I will ask you a Lord of the Rings question, David. Yes. Tell me about being tempted by the ring. So, you were not on when we <laughs> talked about this last week. The mechanic is revealed as a dungeon-like mechanic. You level it up four times to gain powers for your ring bearer. What do you think of it? And Rich Ellis asks, if you could design your own version of the Tempted by the Ring mechanic, what would you have it do? All right. It's time for the classic zag here. I like that the ring actually damages you, but being tempted by the ring does not actually damage you. I think people are kind of misremembering. The ring makes the bearer incredibly powerful. That's why Gandalf turns it down. He says, if I was given the ring, not that it would harm me, being tempted by the ring would not harm me. He's like, I would try to use it for good, but I would actually become more powerful than Sauron himself, and I would become the evil lord. So it harms you in the moral (laughs) sense, in the sort of Wittgensteinian. But in terms of giving you power, it makes you more powerful. You don't die, right? You live a really long time. Uh, Bilbo uh, hadn't aged a day, right? So I think it actually makes sense that the ring tempting you does not actually harm you. It does make you more powerful, which makes you want to get tempted by the ring even more, which is sort of what happened to Frodo. The ring damages you, but being tempted by the ring, it just, there's there's no actual trade-off there. If Gandalf had taken the ring, he would have become more powerful than Sauron. The harm was is just like how the rest of the world perceives him. Do you think that the mechanic should turn the ring bearer into a black creature. Um, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Maybe at the end of it all. I mean, the thing is in the movie and in the book, Frodo does not end up becoming an undead creature, right? He's uh, sort of PTSD out and, and all that stuff, but he himself does not become evil. Uh, he does become obsessed with the ring. So maybe if you have someone who's like been tempted by the ring, then you can't like target the ring if it's in play. That'd be, I mean, very specific verbiage, but that'd be kind of interesting. 
like the ring must stay in play and just you take all the damage each turn. That that would be the like true uh flavor win. Cannot be the ring becomes uh what's the preview to hexproof? Um Oh Shroud. Yeah, Shroud. The ring gets Shroud. So then you can't blink it anymore. That 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 should happen it when when they complete it. Okay, so you're talking about the actual card, the one ring. Yeah, the one ring the one ring should get shroud when you complete the ring cycle. So you get all the benefits of all that other stuff, but then you can't ever blink the ring. So you're okay with the temptation mechanic not having any damage or any downside. Yeah, because to the actual power, you gotta remember, you're a wizard trying to kill another wizard. So if Saruman was tempted by the ring a bunch of times, he would just kill Gandalf or vice versa if he had the ring. Yeah, if Saruman had Skulk, he'd be totally unstoppable. <laughs> how could you ever hope to how could you ever hope to defeat him he walks here and there they say the white wizard <laughs> all right back to a real question from raptor 1551 now that pioneer has had the full cycle of fast lands for a little bit have they had more or less of an impact than you expected Probably about the amount I expected. I thought they'd be a huge boon to a bunch of different decks. Uh, I think they were a huge addition to the format. The decks off the top of my head that kind of, without any new cards really, uh, have started showing up is um, Rogues. The blue-black dual land is doing a ton of work there. A bunch of green-white lists now show up in basically every deck dump. I mean, there's a bunch of different flavors of them. It's hard to kind of classify. Including the Angels, uh, you know, you guys kind of talked about that a little bit with some of the Angel Spoiler cards. The Angel Collected Company, just random green-white Collected Company lists, tokens lists that are green-white. Um, the Neoform Atraxa list really could not function without the blue-black untapped land. So yeah, th- those are three. I mean, you'll see at least one version of each of those in every uh, deck dump. Uh, the Rona list actually probably desperately needs the blue-black land as well. So th- those are four de- decks you'll see in every deck dump. And then let's say there's 45 lists in a deck dump. So like a tenth of the format is made possible in, in terms of five O's, which again, we know doesn't really mean anything by these lists. And that- that's just like off the top of my head. There, there might be other lists as well, uh, if you can think of any. I haven't thought of it in terms of like itemizing the different archetypes and deck lists, but I just think that it feels so much more natural to like not have this arbitrary distinction between allied and enemy fast lands. You know, like, I don't want to notice it. I just want it to be like, you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. And like, I was just randomly building like Sultai lists all the time because that is just one of the three color <laughs> pies that I could play two sets of fast lands in, which is just a ridiculous random thing. Um, now you can play all three sets, but it's just so weird that that was the case, right? Like, yeah, because you could play the green, black and green, blue. So like you could play green, green on turn two and still play three colors, which maybe led us to play the wrong kinds of green enchantments too many times because we could, the mana worked, but yeah, it was just so arbitrary that you could do that, but you couldn't play like white, white if you wanted to play uh Jess guy. Yeah. Cause you only had the red, white and red, blue. Like, so you were locked in on red being your primary color and your Jess guy just, just because it, it made no sense. So for me, regardless of what the current impact is today, like it's just writing a, historical wrong and a massive improvement to the format i want every land cycle to be completed like i realize that that would be miserable in some cases like the one that gives you a life that taps for red and a green maybe should never be completed (laughs) um but i I think all of them i mean i'm glad they completed the um uh, the lands you can sacrifice to draw a card 
it always just seemed random that like green white got that land but then like blue white got the like the shit random one-off dual land <laughs> that they never completed the cycle for uh in that set so i think they should just complete every cycle and mm. if you have to ban cards ban cards it's just so random when a random color pair or enemy or ally get um certain effects so we have a question here from judge rob that is specifically designed to put your feet to the fire he's going to ask you the hard hitting questions no holds barred so this is for you david if you were forced to memorize 100 card names and you got $1,000 for each one you got right, but you lost $1,000 for each one you got wrong. Would you take that offer? I love this question. This is one of the favorite mini games of Faith is Brewing is the card name Jeopardy when David is describing a deck list. <laughs> Can you think of it? Oh, yeah. This would be easy money. I would for sure make 100 grand or whatever. Oh. 90, 94 grand. Or oh, you think so? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll take that, but people remember like <laughs> I work a full day at work and then I go to the gym for an hour and then I'm like brewing up all these decks and I'm still communicating what the card does. I just don't happen to remember the name. But if you said, okay, you have to remember the card name and not what it does, because you're not having to brew up all these lists, I could easily do that. You guys name random cards from like the dark, and then I describe exactly what it does line for line. Okay, so you just you just choose not to memorize the name. It's not that you can't. I'm memorizing the thing that matters. As a brewer, you don't have to remember like what is after the comma for some legend. It's like, oh, is there a card that interacts with uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker in my opponent's graveyard? It's like, yes, the four mana Jeskai legend. <laughs> when it attacks, <laughs> it, it can get it back. <laughs> so if I choose to delete that information, don't think like a brewer. Think like, you know, an archivist of some kind. I would effortlessly... Uh, win a hundred thousand dollars, perhaps of Judge Rob's money. <laughs> if you would like to, uh, if you'd like to dance, I would like to retire early. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, so yeah, I have known that you're you're like a master of trivial pursuit, right? You hold a lot of information in your head. I had not realized that specifically as it relates to magic, it's like you're picking and choosing the data. Like you, I don't even look at the title of cards. Like I picture the card. I picture like the mana cost. I'm like mapping out the turns of the game. I don't care what it's called. Like, oh, the dragon that exerts. I forget like Glorybringer's name. We're the only people that have like 5-0'd with that in modern. <laughs> I forget it all the time. I'm always calling it the exert dragon in my notes and when we're like messaging back and forth. I always just imagine that, you know, you, you kind of like related to cards in a different way, like not through their names. Like you could, you could describe their shape. You could sculpt them. You could do an interpretive dance. But like names were not your strong suit. <laughs> like you mix up the names, but you connect with them in a spiritual way. No, like at work, I remember all these random people's names. Like my company is ten thousand people. I know hundreds of different employees and exactly what they do because I don't remember like their function. <laughs> they aren't a resource that can be exploited like in a card game. So I know <laughs> you know such and such as person's name and who they report to. Yeah, if you gave me like a couple days, I, it'd just be the lock of the millennium. Question from Tower Slayer. Say that Wizards asked you to create a new card to hate on non-basic lands across formats while being safe to print into Standard and Pioneer. How would you go about it? So what do you think of Furnace Punisher? I actually think it's a really well-designed card. Maybe it's not quite as powerful as what uh, Tower Slayer is hoping for, but do you, do you think Furnace Slayer, or excuse me, Furnace Punisher is the kind of in the right direction? 
Well, I don't know these card names. What does it do? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> two and a red. I'll tell you. I'm not even looking it up. Two and a red for a 3-3 three, three menace. And if a player controls less than two basics, mm-hmm. they take two damage during their upkeep. That's a very cool design. I agree. And yeah, I think uh, Island Gosami or Island Gosmi. We, who knows what he had in mind when he picked that name, but he had some great results with um, putting that into mono red. Yeah. Like, how would you go about it? So that's fair because it happens at a reasonable spot on the curve. And like, if you can't kill a three, three for three, it's your own fault. It's like you choose to get got by this. What about like the actual mana denial, right? So like we've seen demolition field, we've seen field of ruin and cleansing wildfire style effects that will just like destroy lands, non-basics until you can no longer produce basics. Yeah. I like those effects. I don't like, a blood moon like effect where it like locks you out of the game that's appropriate for modern where there's a bunch of non-games so i like something that either i don't know that you want to print a more efficient version of those cards i think the three you just named are like very reasonable um i think burning earth uh at four mana is too slow but burning earth at three mana i think would be too good so if we think like maybe Furnace Punisher is almost good enough, and maybe Islands Ghost Sammy uh, <laughs> would say it's it, it is very good, and, and you know he's kind of a master of these like uh, super aggressive red decks. I think it's maybe just below what you're thinking of is like a cyborg card. I think it's only good if if you're already an aggressive red deck, right? I think maybe what Tower Slayer is saying is a hate card you bring out of the board to punish people that are only playing like one basic. I think three mana Burning Earth is is too good, so you need to kind of find something like right in the middle. Yeah, Burning Earth is mana barbs for a non-basic land, so that's yeah, interesting, right? It, it introduces another resource, life total, and you know how much that hurts you is depends on how you built your, built your deck. So it's just different from like mana denial. Um, mana denial's not so good. I wouldn't mind a more efficient way to blow up non-basic lands, like Ravenous Baboons as a print into Pioneer would oh, certainly be fine. Seriously. Four mana b- destroy a non-basic land with not without haste. No, I think they should print the one with kicker that has haste. I think that's very playable or very printable. That would be too strong. The ravenous baboons. Four mana blow up a non-basic land is too strong. That's that's yeah, flag yeah. talk, man. I mean, avalanche rider is not even legal in pioneer. It's basically the same card without echo. Avalanche rider has haste and kills any land cares about the haste we don't care about the haste it does two damage <laughs> people don't play basics in pioneer like ravenous baboons is just like it, it's like a vindicate on a baboon so what about acidic slime is that too strong uh not at five but you know at four yeah probably well yeah acidic slime is way better than ravenous baboons of course at four it's too good <laughs> i can't believe you think ravenous baboons is too good so what about if we put it on the, like the kicker card so it can't be blinked? Which kicker card? The There's a two and a... Okay, I don't, I don't know the card name. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Two and a red for a 2-1 haste. And if you pay the kicker, which is red, when it comes into play, it destroys a non-basic land. It was in uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, maybe? Do you know this card? Goblin Ruin Blaster. Yeah. Okay. That's from Zendikar, original Zendikar. So it... it it can't be blinked, so that it, yeah. so it's like just a one of or a one shot. Okay, yeah, let's try that. That's a good start. We can put that in Pioneer, Pioneer Masters, and see what happens. That could be printed into standard. They should print that into standard. 
Then it's like, again, a card that doesn't work with Fable. So, I mean, Fable's going to be banned, but you, you take my meaning. The 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 real feel-bads where you're copying this and blinking it and, like, um, whatever, urioning it, that, that's gone, right? It's, it's just more of a tempo-positive uh, way to punish people's lands. All right. So, looking at these questions here... I have one last question, and then I do want to highlight one cool deck list. Maybe just do that now, actually. All right, so my pick of the week. I have one deck that I saw in the Faith is Brewing Discord, which you can find by joining our Patreon, that was just so sweet, and the pilot said they just missed a 5-0. They took us into a league and even won the first game of their last of their trophy match against Is It Phoenix and just couldn't quite get there. But it is a Elementals Vagrock Double Major Combo Deck by Monetary Mentor. So we played a little bit with Vagrock, but are you familiar with this Double Major Combo, David? Yeah, we've talked about it before. I've proposed much worse versions of this list in the past. So uh, this person, Monetary Mentor, has definitely uh, iterated to take this way to the next level. I, lo- I love the innovations here. So in order to like fully combo with Phage Rock and Double Major, you need to have an eligible creature to mutate onto. You spend four to mutate your Phage Rock onto the creature, but then, holding priority, you slam your Double Major, which is a two-mana instant that creates a copy of, a non-legendary copy, I should say, of the card you are casting. Yep. So then what's going to happen is that your Phage Rock will come in. You copy the Phage Rock on the stack. Correct. And then that Vadrock on the stack mutates onto the creature. Mm-hmm. Then you get your trigger, your Vadrock trigger. Yep. Which will target the double major, which is now in the graveyard. And when resolving that double major, you still have a Vadrock on the stack. Yes. So you're allowed to just keep doing it. But because of the way the Vadrock is worded, each time you mutate, you keep stacking up more and more mutate triggers. So these extra bonus mutate triggers give you all these additional spell cast, free spell cast triggers from your graveyard. So any other spell in the graveyard can be cast infinite times. And one of the cool things about Vagerock is that it, it just leaves the card in the graveyard. It doesn't exile it. So all you need is like a lightning bolt if you're a modern, which is something that uh, I play a bad decks was experimenting with a couple months back. But any spell works. So in Pioneer, what Monetary Mentor has done is they've identified a few different spells that will sort of win the game, right? Lightning Strike is your Lightning Bolt equivalent, but there's also Spikefield Hazard, a couple copies of that. Snakeskin Veil, which is just a fine protection spell, but it distributes a plus one, plus one counter. You do that exponentially infinite times through the double major combo, and you end up with an infinite power creature ready to attack. With flying. Vadrock is flying. With flying. Divide by zero. Versatile spell, interactive, but its learn effect can actually grab a, a lesson from, from the sideboard that goes infinite. In this case, if there's a card called Start from Scratch, which just like does a damage. So like that, that becomes part of your infinite loop. And finally, kind of the cool missing piece was Rail's Reinforcements, a card that uh, you kind of highlighted, David, as being potentially very good or very important for the Elementals package. So it's just one in a red sorcery and makes two Elemental tokens. 
copying that over and over builds an infinite board to kill next turn. So that's like how you win if you're doing the Vage Rock plus double major thing. Is that actually a deck? Well, not quite, right? Like we need something to mutate onto. And I think where Monetary Mentor has really found something cool is they've paired this with a pioneer version of like an Elemental's tribal package. So that means Risen Reef, Voice of Resurgence, Omneth, Locus of Creation, four copies of all of those. Rouse Reinforcements suddenly gets very, very attractive, right? Triggers a Risen Reef twice, and he's even got one copy of Thunderkin Awakener. Yeah, so I had built, and I think a few people had 5 0 uh, a few Japanese players had 5 0 with shells with Sylvan Carry added as a two-drop, right? It has hexproof, it makes mana, so it seems intuitive, right? You'd want that. But leaning into the Risen Reef package means I think that your fair game is so much better, because typically what would happen is your opponent kills the Omnath, that's your only normal creature that has any use and then your vadrock isn't very good right it, if without the combo this deck just can win a fair game you can imagine risen reef resolve omnath rouse reinforcements you know get a bunch of mana from your omnath divide by zero and then just get a mascot exhibition and win this, this, this deck is just super cool the divide by zero being able to fetch start from scratch is technology i had not seen before i did not know start from scratch existed um the rouse reinforcements yeah i'd kind of mentioned like there's a bunch of faux combo-ish lists with risen reef this is one of them although i wasn't thinking about that at the time and rouse reinforcements as a card that can be infinitely bought back with vadrock to functionally draw your deck if you have a risen reef in play or just a value play or if you don't have a risen reef in play you can if you, you cast infinite times you at least threaten a uh, lethal the next turn um and then because you're playing all these elementals voice of resurgence is kind of your target for your Vadrock, yeah, it's not hexproof, but it's really good, right? Like, if your opponent kills it in response, you at least get a giant elemental out of the deal. And then you get to play Kahira um, as sort of a bonus. And Kahira matters even more than usual because you have Rails Reinforcement. So you have a bunch of elementals to absorb the bonus. And you have all extra mana from your Risen Reef and Omnath to make Kahira very accessible. So I'm kind of surprised that this deck did so well. I mean, it's, it's super sweet. But coming one game short of the 5-0 is, is really impressive and makes me wonder if just like the Elementals package alone is just more competitive than we realized in Pioneer. Yeah, we'd have to kind of see how many games were won with a combo and how many games were won, you know, fair-ish. Um, I wonder, I, you might lose Kahira, but, you know, the Nissa that you guys highlighted as a card of interest... Mm tutoring the, up these elementals you know the one of thunderkin awakener it looks kind of bad to me it looks like the worst card in this list um is the nissa worth worth her weight you're already playing not just four fables they're also playing broker's hideout uh cabaretti courtyard right so these are the fetch lands <laughs> slow fetch lands that you can play in right. pioneer to make omneth uh very powerful so omneth Hasn't really lived up to his potential in Pioneer, I think. Is, is it fair to say that? Yeah, I 5 0 with him a couple of times. But yeah, right now, I mean, the life just doesn't matter that much. The decks are very unfair, and the card from Omnath doesn't do that much. Basically, once, I think honestly, uh, and I, I, all right, I hate to say I told you so, but Expressive Iteration getting banned is the card that really hurt Omnath. Because when you play Omnath, you play all these extra lands, and Expressive Iteration is how you kind of prevented yourself from flooding. Um, I'm not saying it did or did not need to get banned, but it really hurt the Omnath like value piles. And so Risen Reef plus Rouse Reinforcements is like a super (laughs) 
expressive iteration. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so super cool list from Monetary Mentor. Uh, love to see innovations like this, and I, I hope they're getting that 5.0 soon. Yeah, and I'd, I'd recommend trying out that Nissa. I think Nissa looks awesome in this deck as like a one or two of. I don't know how critical Kahir Het was to the to the plan, mm-hmm. but I mean, how good does Nissa look in this list? I guess it all depends on how often you're getting that second landfall, but yeah. And you have six ways to do it, plus Risen Reef can actually hit it. Oh, uh, true. Okay, so more than six. All right. I'm with you. I'm with you. Nissa Resurgent Animus, that's the card. Yeah. And maybe just as a one-of, it seems weird to lose your Kahira just for a one-of, but man, just always being able to hit your Omnath or Risen Reef or Voice, like every time, seems pretty slick. All right, so that's one cool deck I just wanted to highlight. Uh, just looking at the time, I think we're about out of time, but I will ask you one final question from my mailbag, David. This is from Kilgore Trout 503 He wants to know, is it better to burn out or to fade away? Uh, famously written by Neil Young, who I guess you'd say is fading away. I don't know how many people have been listening to Neil Young lately. He's still, well, he's sober now. Good for him. Uh, but also famously scrawled into a notebook by Kurt Cobain before he shot himself. So I guess he is a fan of the burnout. Oh gosh. And, uh, the author of the, uh, of the, uh, the poem here, uh, is a fan of fading away. So unknown. <laughs> but uh, I highly recommend everybody fire up a Neil Young song tonight. Okay. Russ Never Sleeps, man. Awesome, awesome record. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with this? I will have to go look it up right now. There's a uh, acoustic side and an electric side. Great, great record. Pocahontas. Come on. <laughs> Powderfinger. You've lost me completely, but the perfect note to end on. Everyone just, okay, if you, if you don't listen to the record, uh, young people don't like albums, just play Powderfinger. That's the best song on the record and maybe the best song you ever recorded. Powderfinger by Neil Young. Well, I don't remember the names of songs, but if you can describe what the track does, I can maybe... It describes <laughs> a river town that is uh, attacked by these pirates and this uh, kid kind of has this emotional uh, epiphany as he uh, exchanges fire and ultimately passes away. Oh my God. And it's super cool in the record because the first half is all acoustic and then Powderfinger starts. We used to flip over records to all the young people out here um, <laughs> with this, you know, at the time it was unique, uh, very reverb, uh, very feedback heavy guitar sound. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, I think that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thanks to everyone who has submitted a question. And thanks, David, for weighing in as always. My pleasure. Happy brewing, everybody. All right, take care.